Am I Reister or am I wrong? The NCAA better get to fixing the inequities in college athletics because players aren't waiting any longer and Pac-12 athletes are leading the way. A new 64-team power conference seems like shuffling around pieces on the deck of the Titanic. You guys make sure that you listen and subscribe to the Pac-12 Apostles podcast, the George Reister podcast, Reister or Wrong, and you can see, listen to me really, on Fox Sports Radio on Sundays from 2 to 5 p.m. Pacific. Am I Reister or Am I Wrong is the intersection where sports, business, society, and pop culture meet. Daily fire. Facts only. Check your feelings at the door. This ain't the place for the left, the right, snowflakes, or social justice warriors, and absolutely no BS. I keep it 100. Make sure that you guys leave a five-star rating for this podcast and email gwpodcast at unafraidshow.com. And make sure you tell a friend and share. Over the next seven weeks, we will be giving away two $50 Amazon gift cards each week. Make sure that you leave a rating and tweet out the podcast or Facebook it to your followers. And make sure that you tag the Unafraid Show to be entered. We'll start with the NCAA. They better get to fixing the inequities in college athletics. The players are no longer waiting, and I love it. This is the right thing. So yesterday, the Pac-12 players came out with a letter, an open letter essentially, with their demands for the Pac-12 season to continue or that they would boycott. So this is going to break the NCAA if they don't get with it quickly. Like the days of dragging their feet are over. Players are no longer waiting. And this reminded me of a scene from the movie The Dark Knight Rises, the the Batman movie, where Selena Kyle, who was played by Anne Hathaway, said, there's a storm coming, Mr. Wayne. You and your friends better batten down the hatches because when it hits, you're all going to wonder how you ever thought that you could live so large and leave so little for the rest of us. That's what's going on in college sports right now. So here's a quick history lesson before we get into the Pac-12 and what the players' demands are, what's realistic and what's not. The Every significant gain by the players or the coaches has been from antitrust lawsuits against the NCAA. Every single one. They don't do anything out of the kindness of their heart because they protect the money. The education is valuable. But now with these TV contracts, the value of the scholarship and what the athletes are providing the universities is way out of whack. And so it's not even about them being paid, but we'll get to that in a minute. So here's the history lesson. It started out with coaches way back. Law versus the NCAA. The NCAA tried to put in uh, uh, rules that said a coach's salary had to be capped. At least one coach on the staff had to be capped at $16,000. They got sued. Guess what happened? Coach's salaries all over the place. The NCAA has been taking L's since 2009 when Ed O'Bannon sued over name, image, and likeness as it related to the video games and all that. The lawsuit finished in 2014. And since then, 
Austin versus the NCAA. We've written about that extensively on unafraidshow.com. So go in, type in Austin, A-L-S-T-O-N, and you'll find all sorts of stuff. Because, and that's about the scholarships being capped at the cost of attendance. NCAA has been taking L's upon L's. They spent a million dollars lobbying against name, image, and likeness, and all of this because they don't want to do it. I just testified in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee, and it was very clear from Mark Emmert, the athletic director, uh, Radakovich from Clemson, they do not want anything different. They love the system as it is. But let's get to the Pac-12 player demands. This all started with Cal offensive lineman Jake Kieran. He already had concerns about playing college football after the coronavirus first came out. Then he read an article about it and said, hold up, I need to do something about it. Because the article said that 30 to 50 percent of the nation's uh, college football players, that's a hundred, that's 13,000. Division one athletes, at least because there are 130 teams, over 100 players on all of them. So that's how you get there, that they would be infected and that you would have three to seven players die. Here is what they want to play this season. And I'm going to tell you whether it's realistic, whether it's right, wrong or whatever. They want significant health and safety precautions as it relates to coronavirus. Yes, they are not in the age range of people who are high risk or even have a high chance of death however we are learning now we don't know a ton about the long-term effects of the virus so these players are seeing baseball players come out and say oh, wait i have a heart condition after covid we don't know the long-term effects or the negative outcomes that don't result in death so one of the things that the schools have been doing is so it kind of all started with the Buckeye pledge at Ohio State, where they made players sign a pledge for them to come back and do voluntary, <laughs> which is actually mandatory, off-season workouts. And the Buckeye pledge would essentially be used as a liability waiver, you know, like if you go jet skiing, if you do anything, um, that if you die or something happens, we're not liable. And this is, but this is for mandatory workouts. And these are college kids. They're not paid. The NBA players for sure have to sign one. But guess what? They're paid professionals. These are supposed to be students first, but you're also saying the students aren't safe enough to be on campus, but you need them to pump money through the state. All right. They want no COVID liability waivers. So what that means is that the schools really have to take this seriously. Because previously, with health and safety standards, particularly in football, they had not been held responsible for doing the right thing. So if a, there are concussion protocols, but we've seen games where guys have been knocked out or appeared to be and have come back in in college. And the difference is, is that there is no repercussions if they do not follow protocol. So they want that fixed. They, they said they wanted uh, conference spending down from the Pac-12. You have Larry Scott making more than any other, who's the commissioner of the Pac-12, making more than any other conference commissioner with the lowest revenue, least visibility television-wise, 
but almost 10 times more operating expenses than any other conference. What kind of fiscal responsibility is that? It's not. And that's why people have been saying for years, if Larry Scott was a plant from the SEC to destroy the Pac-12, what would he have done differently? Um, They want all sports protected because it's a bad look for a school like Stanford. I know the money comes from two different buckets. School like Stanford, $27.7 billion endowment, but you got to cut about a dozen sports. No, you took this as an opportunity because you say, oh, it's not it's not financially responsible enough for us to do this. You got $27.7 billion. Come on now. Um, they want health care for injuries that they sustain while playing. Uh, how doesn't that make sense? They put their bodies on the line. But then when they're hurt after they finish playing, the school doesn't cover those things. That is a problem. Um, They want a civic engagement task force and a Pac-12 Black Athlete Summit. Love it. Being more proactive in the community is good for everybody. It's good for the relationship between the players and the universities. Because you do in football and basketball, which are majority black, have kids that come from either low income or majority black areas um, and don't necessarily have that diversity around them. And going to a predominantly white institution can be a culture shock. Learning how to fit in in communities that don't look like you is a big deal for a lot of these kids. All in on that. They want 2% financial aid for low income and black students and community initiatives. All on board with that as well of the conference's revenue. They want to be able to transfer unencumbered one time. The NCAA was supposed to pass it last year, but now they've tabled it till 2021. For what? What do you need to table it for? Um, They also want to return to college after the draft if they are undrafted. I'm not on board with that. Even though 33% of juniors who declared for the NFL draft last year were not drafted. I believe that they should do like the NBA does. You can go to the pro date. Don't sign with an agent. Um, Well, the combine actually don't sign with an agent. And then there's a certain date where you can return back to school so you can get real data and information instead of just going off. Oh, I think my stats are good enough. No, you can see how the schools view you. And after your testing, all in on that, Um, they want 50% of the revenue in the conference. If you want to play this year, that's not going to happen. But the name, image and likeness legislation is more valuable anyway. And we'll get into that in a second. But so many people have asked, will it succeed? Will the Pac-12 players succeed? And... I say yes, but they need two things. They need two very, very important things to be successful. The first thing is they need player commitment. I mean, they need to be galvanized. They need to be forged in in fire because this is going to be a rough road. We've seen uh, Rolovich at Washington State tell a player, "Uh, your future might be in jeopardy if you with this We Are United thing. Hmm, they are going to fight this tooth and nail. So 
So the players must be unified and fully committed. And the second thing is they need to recruit SEC and Big Ten players. This is a must. This is necessary because they are going to try to divide and conquer. So players like Elijah Molden, Dorian Thompson Robinson. Well, Dorian said, I well, I'm not sitting out. They need to feel me this season. Bruh, there may not be a season. And you need to be united because you need to leave things better than what you found it. Absolutely. The goal is to get your demands met and play, which you can do, which they can do. It makes sense. It's not to sit out the season. It is to affect change. So they're so the name, image and likeness. It's more the most valuable to them because it creates legal problems. There's a title nine problem if the school pays them. Because the football players would obviously make more under the Pac-12 proposal because they would take 50% of the revenue from each sport. That creates a Title IX problem. It also creates a problem because then they could be looked at as employees. And if they're employees, they can be subject to demands from their employer that impede some of the free speech rights that they want. And it can impede some of their name, image, and likeness opportunities because of your because you give up some of your First Amendment rights when you work for an employer. And the name, image, and likeness, if you are an employee now signing contracts with competitors uh, of the partners of the school, your employer would then become an issue. So your name, image, and likeness unimpeded. Not with the NCAA having an antitrust exemption and oversight. None of that because it is important. It's the American way. People will tell you about inducements for recruits. And I say the free market will figure it out because it's unfair already. Alabama, Oregon uh, have more resources than than Rice and Western Kentucky. It's a fact already. And it, but this will actually give those group of five schools a chance to make it big time, a huge chance and a huge opportunity. I love this scenario for them because all of them have some big boosters. And if you can get some kids to come, you have an opportunity. But there is no way that this will be limited to the Pac-12. And that goes to the second thing that they need to be successful. They need to recruit SEC and Big Ten players. Because the SEC players are already grumbling about health and safety standards too. And this could force the NCAA's hand. Because the, the in football, the SEC and the Big Ten are their bell cows. Period. That's the truth. It is what it is. And for people listening, I, I always have a hard time understanding how people complain about their work conditions, their bosses, and the lack of consideration from their employers, especially during this pandemic. But then come so hard with venom for student athletes for using their leverage that they have to improve their situation. Because if you could do it at your work, you absolutely would. And that goes back to the other thing. I, I get that it's hard for people because they look at their student loan debt. They look at how much they paid to go to school and that creates a little bit of jealousy 
of the student athletes. They say, but they don't realize that these kids that yes, they have God given ability, but they had to work hard. They had to miss events. They had to wake up early, work hard, work out, play hurt, sore and sacrifice for what they got. So appreciate them the same way. Uh, The last thing up, there is an idea that's been floated around because I've talked to multiple powerful people in, uh, well, multiple very powerful and influential people that are above coaches who work for and with some of the biggest power five athletic departments. They believe that the 64 power five schools plus Notre Dame and maybe BYU in the not so distant future can break from the NCAA and form their own conglomerate and a new, but I believe that a new 64 team power conglomerate would actually is just like shuffling around pieces on the Titanic because as Pat 40 said today, a new power five version of the NCAA would almost certainly feature a lot of the same old faces in power. And most of those would be in favor of the same old structure, fistfuls for the schools, resistance to sharing it with the players. Yeah, they would be more open to it because they they would want to seem like they're doing the right thing. Mm-mm. But it would not be the necessary changes. They're going to end up right back in a legal fight. I do, though, believe that there are people within college football and college athletics who believe the current system is inequitable and support name, image, and likeness and healthcare. But it would ultimately end up, but the question is, would they ultimately end up in the most powerful positions? That has not happened because the money always gets at the top and they want to keep it for themselves. Because just sharing the, the, the profits is not inherently the way these corporations slash universities work. They want all the money, all the prestige, and don't want to share it because they want the recognition. Am I Reister or am I wrong? Peace out. Catch you guys on Wednesday.